Timo Meyer is still out, and the New Jersey Devils, for the second time during the Stanley Cup playoffs, have dropped game one by a score of 5-1. to one. There's still a lot to talk about in today's episode of Locked on Devils, lineup changes, uh, a lot of missed calls by the referees, so there's definitely a lot of speculation that has to be discussed. Buckle up, everybody. You're Locked on Devils, your daily podcast on the New Jersey Devils. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hi, this is Bryce Salvador, and you're Locked On Devils with Trey Matthews. All righty now, what is up, New Jersey? Welcome back to the Locked On Devils Podcast here on Locked On Network. I'm your host, college hockey play-by-play announcer, Dell's Wire for Pucks and Pitchforks, and also part-time credential media member, Trey Matthews. So there's this old saying, history repeats itself. And unfortunately, the Devils fell victim to that statement because for the second time during the course of the Stanley Cup playoffs, the Devils have lost the first game of the series by a score of 5-1. to one. Now, Despite the loss, there's still a lot of storylines to discuss. Obviously, we have an update on Timo Meyer. He did not suit up in this game, but it doesn't look to be too serious. Then to give the Devils the benefit of the doubt, there were some missed calls during the course of the game that should have put them in more power play opportunities. However, that first period, and we're going to talk about that in segment two, absolutely atrocious. It was a train wreck. It was a nightmare. And they were only able to register one measly shot on Frederick Anderson. And that was their death march to this 5-1 to loss. But they did get a little bit better thanks to the BMW line in period number two. So that's going to be the main talking point in segment two. And a lot of people are pushing for Ryan Grace to be scratched in favor of Luke Hughes. And some people are wondering, like, since Akira Schmidt was swapped out relatively early in this game, are we going to see Vitek Vancek in net for game two? So I'll share my thoughts in that segment as well. And then to wrap it all up, like I do with every post-game recap, I will compare the stats and give the Devils a letter grade. So let's talk about the update on Timo Meyer. So Amanda Stein revealed earlier in the day that Timo Meyer was participating in morning skate and his nose did look a lot better. So if you missed the news or if you missed the game from uh, just a few days ago, the New Jersey Devils in game seven in the first round were playing the New York Rangers in period number three. Truba had a big hit on Timo Meyer that sent him laying on his back for a few moments. And he actually had to go to the locker room to get checked out. And a lot of people were concerned for the safety of Timo Meyer sparked shockwaves around the NHL world because Jacob Truba, he has a knack for doing things like that. His elbow was down. Timo Meyer's head was down. So a lot of people are, were debating, like, who was actually at fault. But Truba was just out to hurt somebody. But if you want to hear my thoughts on it, go back to my episode a couple of days ago in which I talked about the matter. But needless to say, Timo Meyer, he left the game with a bloody nose. And people were wondering, is it a concussion? I said, worst case scenario, since he was medically cleared to return to the bench, it might have been a uh, worst case scenario, like a fractured nose or a broken nose. And hypothetically, he could play through an injury like that. But I was waiting for the official assessment from someone like Amanda Stein of, 
or someone of that nature. Maybe Lindy Ruff would have revealed something. But the good news is Lindy Ruff said uh, the matter is day to day. And originally, Timo Meyer was a game time decision. And Lindy Ruff also told the media that it was up to Timo Meyer if he was feeling all right to suit up in game one. So my educated guess is this. If it was like an elimination game or if it was a must win scenario for the Devils, I think Timo Meyer would have played considering the fact that he did participate in morning skate. We all know how tough Timo Meyer is, but if he was feeling like 95%, there's no reason for him to play in game one. Wait till he's 100%. And so that way he could give us uh, his all during the course of the playoffs. But like Lindy Ruff said, the matter is day to day. Now, in this game for the Devils, they missed Timo Meyer's presence because I talked about the BMW line being effective, but which line was just missing their spark? Which line was missing their pop? It was that third line. So Jesper Boquist was inserted back into the lineup since Timo Meyer was scratched for this game. And no disrespect to Jesper Boquist. He's an excellent skater. And you guys know that I usually have positive things to say for Jesper Boquist. But here's where people were underestimating Timo Meyer's impact because a lot of people were looking at the score sheet. Obviously, they see no goals, no assists, no points during the course of the first round of the playoffs. So people were just writing off Timo Meyer, saying, where's the impact? Where's the the like the forwarded goal score that we traded for? And I said, like, look, it's going to come. But at the same time, look at the hits category. Timo Meyer led the Devils in hits in the first round with 23. And if you need more proof as to how effective he was on the offensive side of things, According to Todd Cordell, he tweeted this shortly after Timo Meyer went to the locker room after that Jacob Truba hit. He said he led the Devils with an absurd 94.75 expected goals for percentage, drew a penalty, and was involved in the making of a few good chances. His reward was zero points again and having his head taken off by Truba. Hopefully he gets healthy ASAP and enjoys some R2 regression. And if you need some more proof as to how effective Timo Meyer has been so far during the playoffs, Todd Cordell tweeted this out May 1st. He said, Timo Meyer hasn't found the score sheet, but the Devils have generated an awful lot of opportunities with him on the ice. They have averaged 4.1 expected goals for per 60 with Meyer. Nobody else in the series has been on for 3.4 expected goals for per 60. I'd be putting him with Hughes and letting him cook. So that's a debate for another time. But the one thing that was missing in this game was that aggressive nature from Timo Meyer. So he's setting the tone with these hits. He's setting the tone with being a locomotive coming down the lane. Because when I looked at, at that first period for the Devils, it kind of reminded me just a little bit the team that they were like when they were slumping in December and early January. A soft team, if you would. They were missing that grit. They were missing that determination. And obviously, sometimes we are spoiled with the goal-scoring capabilities of Timo Meyer. But at the same time, something that cannot be underestimated was that he's creating shots for himself. He's creating shots for others. And even though it didn't result in a single point, he was still uh, playing effective minutes out there. He was still throwing his body around. And we talked about the conspiracy theory in Game 5 that he got underneath the skin of Shesterkin and got in his head a little bit. And Shesterkin was still talking about it a couple days later. So that was dearly missed in game one of this matchup between the Carolina Hurricanes because they have one of the best defenses so far. And the Devils, unfortunately, got a rude welcoming to it. So Timo Meyer, if he was in this game, does the outcome change? Probably not. 
But at the same time, you see more aggressiveness. You see more shots being created. You see more opportunities in period number one because, let's face it, the one shot that the Devils got in period number one, it was, in my eyes, a dump attempt just outside their offensive end by Nathan Bastion that just happened to reach Frederick Anderson. So I want people to take that into consideration. Yes, Timo Meyer's scoring is great and all, but do not underestimate his physicality. Do not underestimate his grit. Do not underestimate his capability of creating good looks for himself and others. And that was missed in my eyes because that's what the third line in this game was just uh, missing. They were missing their spark plug in Timo Meyer. So I get that Timo Meyer. The reason the Devils traded for him was to give more scoring options. But at the same time, the main reason or one of the main reasons why I like Timo Meyer so much when we first obtained him was because he brings that physicality. He brings that toughness. He brings that determination. And he's also able to score 40 goals. He's also able to get his name into the score sheet quite frequently. So similar to what Todd Cordell said, he was creating good looks for himself and others. And uh, the numbers don't lie, led the Devils in hits with 23. So I want you guys to take that in consideration when you look back at the highlights for game one, which is who was missing on that third line. It was Timo Meyer and just his effectiveness of just asserting himself and just trying to make sure that his teammates are also getting their respective looks. So that's what that's how big of an impact that Timo Meyer has on this roster. And if game one wasn't any indication, I don't know what was. So Timo Meyer, hopefully he's good to go in game two. And once he is able to go in game two, I think we'll see a different Devils team uh, during the course of that respective matchup. Okay, so this game did not go the way of the New Jersey Devils, and it started in period number one. Like I said in the first segment, the Devils were only able to get one measly shot on goal. And even then, similar to what I said earlier as well, it wasn't that decent of a look. It was more of just a dump attempt by Nathan Bashan just outside the offensive end And it just happened to reach Frederick Anderson. So that counted as a shot on goal. Needless to say, first period was absolutely atrocious. It was a nightmare. It was a train wreck for the Devils. And you're probably wondering, what went wrong for the Devils during the course of period number one? Well, I'll tell you what went wrong. Bad transition, bad execution, bad pace. And the Canes were forechecking the hell out of them. And as a result, the Devils just had no answer for it. So similar to what I said moments ago, the Carolina Hurricanes, they have an excellent defensive unit. And unfortunately, the Devils couldn't run their normal style of game. Now, I want to give the Devils the benefit of the doubt. Some calls did not go their way. So let's talk about some of the calls that the Zebras missed. So the first major call that uh, that needs to be discussed is that Siegenthaler lost his helmet. And sometimes that happens. Sometimes you lose a piece of equipment when you're playing the game. However, Martinuk was at fault in this case. He, if you look closely at the replay, because it resulted in Jesperi Kokonami's goal in period number two. So what happened prior to that was if you look closely, they're battling in the corner. Martinuk uses his left hand to take the helmet off of Jonas Siegethaler. Now, Siegethaler was still involved in the play, but as soon as that play breaks, he has to head over to the bench per the NHL rulebook. So as he's leaving 
and trying to retrieve his equipment, wherever the case might be, it leaves the Devils very vulnerable. So Martinook is able to uh, just get an, a shot on Vanacek, and then Kokonami is able to charge on in since he sees that Sigathar is heading towards the bench, and he's able to crash on in and score. So that was a missed call by the referees because Martinook should have been assessed a roughing call for for taking the helmet off of Jonas Siegenthaler, but he did it so discreetly, the referees didn't notice. Another call that did not go the devil's way was a high-sticking call uh, that should have been assessed to Stahl because what had happened was uh, Jack Hughes and Stahl were, were wrestling and Stahl's stick hit Jack Hughes in the face. Not only that, Jack Hughes drew blood and he had to be checked uh, out by the trainer. So not only should the high sticking uh, be assessed, but drawing blood should also be assessed. So that should be a double penalty. That should be four minutes at least, right? Why is that not called? And courtesy of this Twitter account called at scouting the refs, they said that the Canes got away with a clear face-off violation by playing the puck with the hand of the draw. It was a face-off between Hala and Stahl once again, and Stahl just used his hand to uh, win the draw. So as Hala and Stahl are down, uh, I, I guess if you see it in real time, it, 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 you, you're not able to notice it, but he, he just uses his hand just a little bit to uh, grab the puck and knock it back. Per the rule book, rule 67.2, a minor penalty shall be assessed for delay of game face-off violation to a player who attempts to win the face-off by batting the puck with their hand. So there's another penalty that should have been assessed to the Carolina Hurricanes. Or it, while we're on the topic of Martinuk and Siegenthaler, Martinuk absolutely just crashed him into the boards, like just hit him into the boards. That should have been a boarding call, quite honestly. Why is that not assessed? So I'm not trying to give the Devils any excuses because let's face it, the Carolina Hurricanes, they have the best penalty kill throughout the course of the Stanley Cup playoffs. But these are some of the plays that are not going the Devils' way because the Devils finished off with two power play opportunities, but they should have had way more. So I talked about that Siegenthaler and Martinuk example. There were two of them. That Hughes high sticking with Stahl, Stahl on that Hala faceoff. So why aren't there – and I'm probably missing a few others, but those are just the few that came to mind. So, yes, the Devils did not play their best game. But at the same time, they should have been given more power play opportunities. Now – P.K. Subban said this during the intermission. He said, like, look, he knew, he understood that some of the calls weren't going the devil's way, but they can't use that as an excuse, and I agree with them in that regard. So, yes, the Devils, they played absolutely piss poor in period number one, and luckily they were able to get it going in period number two just a little bit, and we'll talk about that momentarily. But here's what P.K. Subban said during the intermission. He said that the Devils, they needed to establish a shooting mentality early. They need to get puck support and they need to wear down the Carolina Hurricanes. And he also said, try to get more shots on Frederick Anderson, because with all due respect to Anderson, he's a good goalie. But let's face it, he's not Shesterkin. And that was a challenge in round one of the playoffs. Could the Devils beat Shesterkin four times? Because Shesterkin is one of the best goalies in this generation. But digressing a little bit. That's what P.K. Subban was saying. He's, he acknowledged that the calls weren't going the devil's way, but he says the difference between a good team and a great team is that these great teams, not only do they have a plan A, they also have a fantastic plan B. And this is something I've been preaching about on this show. 
it seems like when the Devils don't get something that goes their way, there's no backup plan. So that's what I want the Devils to establish. And they've got to establish it quickly because you're down to your final three lives. Otherwise, you go home and the series is done. So if something is not going your way, especially these missed calls, especially you can't generate anything in period number one, I get you're missing one of your better physicality guys. You need a plan B and quickly. So that's what I want the Devils to think about going forward, which is, okay, plan A is not working. We saw that in period number one. The Devils are not able to run and gun because the Carolina Hurricanes defense, they're clogging those, those passing lanes, those running lanes, whatever the case might be. Devils can't run east to west. Find a plan B. That, that's what they need to work on, and that's something I've been preaching about on this show because if something doesn't go your way, how do you respond to it? Because that's the difference between a championship team and a decent team. So, and, I, and I get they're young. They're going to make mistakes. But that's what the Devils need to do going forward if they want any chance to stay alive during the course of the Stanley Cup playoffs. Now, let's talk about period number two because I got to give credit where credit is due because the Devils did step up just a little bit in period number two. They were able to get their first goal of the game, and it was their only goal thanks to Nathan Bastian. So once again, that BMW line, they were actually playing very efficiently during the course of the game because according to Christy Flannery, Michael McLeod led all New Jersey Devil skaters with four shots on Frederick Anderson. The BMW line combined for eight shots on goal, and Jonas Siegenthaler was credited with seven hits tonight. Yeah, so I think the BMW line, they're starting to regain their footing once again because Miles Wood was inserted into the lineup for back-to-back games, so I can't put this loss on him because he didn't get any penalties. But same time, the, the third line was missing their pop, and but there was just too many mistakes. While the Devils were able to improve in period number two because they did outshoot the Hurricanes in that respective period nine to six, they still did not show consistency throughout the entire 60s. So that first period was their worst period of the season, and that's saying a lot, and it couldn't have come at a worst possible time. Okay, so in period number two, you redeem yourself just a little bit. And now you're down 3-1, and the Devils, unfortunately, they couldn't get anything going. So once again, it goes back to what P.K. Subban said, which is you got to find that plan B in order to be an effective team. And P.K. Subban is absolutely correct. Now, Akira Schmidt was pulled from this game relatively early, and ultimately it wasn't entirely his fault. But a lot of people are still wondering, is Vitek Vancek now going to be the starter once again in game number two? Because the Devils, they did have a shift of momentum when Vitek Vancek checked into the game. So we'll talk about that momentarily. But before we continue, I want to tell you about Athletic Greens. So it's a product I use literally every day. So I started taking AG1 because I wanted to be happier. I wanted to be healthier. My body is a temple and I got to start treating as such. So what is the stuff? Well, with one delicious scoop of AG1, you're absorbing 75 high-quality vitamins, minerals, Whole food source, superfoods, probiotics, and absence to help start your day right. This special blend of ingredients supports your gut health, your nervous system, your immune system, your energy, recovery, focus, and aging, all those things. So its lifestyle is friendly, whether you eat keto, paleo, vegan, dairy-free, or gluten-free. Contains less than one gram of sugar, no GMOs, no nasty chemicals or artificial anything, while still tasting good, supports better sleep quality, and recovery supports mental clarity and alertness. It's one thing that's best about Athletic Greens that uses best of the best products based on the latest science with constant product iterations and third-party testing. So 
Right now, it's time to reclaim your health and arm your immune system with a convenient daily nutrition. It's just one scoop and a cup of water every day. That's it. No need for a million different pills or supplements to look out after your health. To make it easy, Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com slash NHL Network. Again, that is athleticgreens.com slash NHL Network. Take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. And now, whether you live in Raleigh, North Carolina, or Newark, New Jersey, I'm going to tell you about game time in case you want to see the Carolina Hurricanes and the New Jersey Devils play in person. So forget planning months in advance. Game time has deals on tickets right up to the day of the event. Get exclusive flash deals on tickets for hockey, football, basketball, baseball, concerts, comedy, theater, and more. The game time guaranteed means you'll get the best price if you find your ticket in the same section and row for less. Game time will credit you 110% of the difference. Get images of your seat right before you buy so you know exactly what to expect when you arrive. Buy tickets in a matter of seconds, two taps, and you're set. Tickets are sent directly to your phone so you never have to dig through your email. Download the Game Time app, create an account, and use the code LOCKEDONNHL for $20 off your first purchase. Terms apply. Again, create an account and redeem code LOCKEDONNHL for $20 off. Download Game Time today. Last minute tickets, lowest price guaranteed. Before I compare the stats and give the Devils a letter grade, I want to talk about some potential changes to the lineup that the Devils can make. So the first being is that Timo Meyer might not play in game two. That's a possibility. So how do you make sure that you have that same amount of physicality out there? I would consider putting Curtis Lazar in favor for Jesper Boquist because here's the thing. Curtis Lazar, we saw it in his previous couple outings when he was playing against the New York Rangers. He knows how to assert himself physically. He is definitely a guy who's not afraid to throw around his weight. He's not afraid to get underneath the skin of his opponent. He scored in game six of the previous series against the Rangers. And not only that, he plays effective minutes on the PK. And he's not going to eat up a good chunk of the minutes either. So Is he a good playmaker as Timo Meyer? No, but the one takeaway that I want people to get from all this is that the Devils were missing physicality in period number one, and Timo Meyer plays a vital role in that. So why don't you put Curtis Lazar in? Because if I said it once, I've said it a thousand times. Because before the Devils traded for him, during the course of his tenure with the Vancouver Canucks, at least for this season, he was up there in hits. He was up there in blocks. He was up there in face-off win percentage. So Curtis Lazar, similar to like maybe someone like Eric Halla, he can play and do the dirty work that a lot of players are not able to do or shouldn't be able to do. So like someone like uh, Jack Hughes should not be doing the dirty work. Nico Heischer, face-offs, but he's a good two-way player. But at the same time, he does have his limitations. Curtis Lazar can come in and assert himself physically. Now, The big storyline that a lot of people were discussing amongst the Devils discourse was the possibility of Luke Hughes playing in favor of Ryan Graves. So courtesy of Amanda Stein, she said that Ryan Graves played just two shifts in the second period. Hasn't played since the first 343 of the period. Kevin Ball took a couple shifts with John Marino too. Graves is on the bench, 858 left in the second. And Ryan Ovazinski also added by saying that Ryan Graves' shift time has gone down a little bit because uh, if you're watching on YouTube, you can see the graphic. It's a little wonky, but the, the main thing is that you're seeing that Ryan Graves is being utilized less and less and less compared to some of the other defensemen in Damon Severson, Dougie Hamilton, John Marino, Jonas Siegenthaler, Kevin Ball, 
and Ryan Graves, his playing time during the course of the game was inconsistent as it went on. So the thing about Ryan Graves is that he is an interesting case because he was the main reason why the Carolina Hurricanes scored their second goal of the game because we saw that Ryan Graves, he was trying to pass the puck on down. Jarvis was able to locate it, and Jarvis took it down to the other side of the rink, and he was able to make it a 2-0 game in favor of the Carolina Hurricanes. And I was like, Ryan Graves, you've got to play better than that. Now, here's the thing. Like I said, Ryan Graves is an interesting case because he's not the best offensive-minded defenseman, but he certainly is better than a lot of our uh, defensemen in terms of racking up the offensive numbers. He's certainly better than John Marino, Jonas Siegenthaler, Kevin Ball, and Damon Severson. It could be debated a little bit, but Dougie Hamilton is obviously our best offensive-minded defenseman, and Ryan Graves is up there as well. But the offense just hasn't been generating off the stick of Ryan Graves. And during the course of the playoffs, it seems like Ryan Graves has been getting exposed at times. And it's led to the frustration of the fan base saying like, okay, that's it. Put in Luke Hughes. Now, here's the thing. I would like to see Luke Hughes play. I think if Luke Hughes were to hypothetically play, it would have to be in game two. Because if you go down 0-2, we've seen the Devils come back from an 0-2 deficit before. And it's not like it's like a game seven or a game six or a, a game clinching uh, game situation for our opposition. So I think if Luke Hughes were to play, given how Ryan Graves has been playing as of late and also how Ryan Graves has been getting exposed, maybe game two would be the best circumstance for Luke Hughes to get his first rep at the playoffs. But my main thing is this, guys. There's no guarantee that the offense is going to generate off the stick of Luke Hughes either. And he, he is so inexperienced. He is still very young. I don't want to throw him into the pack of wolves this early when it's not necessary. And I also see another X factor, which is Brendan Smith, because Lindy Ruff is so big on Brendan Smith for whatever reason. So I think Brendan Smith has seniority over Luke Hughes. So I don't know about putting Luke Hughes in favor of Ryan Graves, but it's certainly an interesting topic of discussion because the thing is, is that Ryan Graves did lead the New Jersey Devils in defensive point shares during the course of the season. We know that he definitely uh, ranks up there in plus minus. And Ryan Graves was able to have a big year this year, similar to a lot of his teammates. But during the course of the playoffs, that all goes out the window. And it's, it's not a matter of what you did during the regular season. What are you doing now to help the team? And Ryan Graves just hasn't been doing that. So the offense isn't there. The defense isn't there, so what do you do with them? I think you could consider putting Luke Hughes in, wouldn't bet on it, and I don't want to put the kid in that sort of vulnerable position because the fact of the matter is simply this, guys. Luke Hughes is a good offensive-minded defenseman, but the problem is, is that he's too jumpy on the defensive side of things. So the one weakness that Luke Hughes has is, ironically, his defense. I, I don't know how much that helps the New Jersey Devils in this sort of circumstance, but it's something you can definitely tease about. And yeah, so Luke Hughes playing in favor of Ryan Graves, I personally don't see it. I get the argument. We'll just have to wait and see. And now the third and final uh, change of the line that we could see possibly be made by Lindy Ruff is that will Vitek Vanacek starting the next game in favor of Akira Schmidt. Now, courtesy of Amanda Stein, she was able to talk with Lindy Ruff postgame, and Ruff said this, I gave him a fist bump on the blocker to let him know it had nothing to do with him, Ruff on having to pull Akira Schmidt. Ruff added that there were several other players 
he could have pulled during the course of the game. And when Vitek Vanacek came in, and Bryce Salvador acknowledged it on Twitter as well, you just saw a different pep in the set for the Devils, and sometimes a goalie change can do that for your team. And I, I think you still got to stick with Akira Schmidt, but I think if he has or if the Devils let up like three goals and they're like down big time, then I think Akira Schmidt will get pulled once again. And then in game three, we'll see Vitek Vanacek start in favor of the Devils. Now, like I said, I don't think this loss is certainly not on Akira Schmidt because in period number one, let's face it, it could have been like a five to nothing game if Mackenzie Blackwood was out there. So Akira Schmidt, he was doing what he was supposed to do, but I think it was more of a political move by Lindy Ruff to pull him and just make sure that his confidence isn't shaken. And maybe just a goalie change can uh, just get that uh, uh, pep in the step for the Devils. And we saw it in period number two, especially from Nathan Bashan being able to score not too long after that. So even though it was an early night for Akira Schmidt, you still got to ride with them because Akira Schmidt shut out the Rangers twice in the previous series. He's putting up great numbers and, I don't think it had anything to do with the Kira Schmidt. I was actually kind of surprised that Lindy Ruff pulled him that early, if I'm being completely honest, but I kind of understand the mindset, but we'll just have to wait and see. But I would anticipate for Kira Schmidt to start in the game on Friday for the Devils. Now, like I do with every post-game recap, let's compare the stats and give the Devils a letter grade. So shots on goal, differential 23 to 18 in favor of the Hurricanes. Devils were able to catch up in that department, but First period, let's let's admit it was just an absolute nightmare. Faceoff percentage, 52% to 48% in favor of the Devils. Power play, 0 for 2 for the Devils. They should have been like like 0 for 10 or something. They should have been, they should have been given more power play opportunities, and maybe we could have seen a different outcome of the game. Maybe. Hurricanes were 0 for 3, so at least the Devils penalty kill was good. Hits, Hurricanes led that department 37 to 34. Blocks, Devils led that department 16 to 15 giveaways hurricanes had 14 devils had 12 so if i had to rate this game for devils i'm going to give them a d plus because that first period was their worst period of the season but they did improve and we saw just glimpses of just trying to get back into the game and i'll give them benefit of doubt they're one they're missing one of their best physicality players in timo meyer but am i being a little generous I don't know. It, it it should have been a lot better in my eyes. It could have been a lot better. So the Devils, they just lost that momentum in period number three. They once the once the Hurricanes were able to score their fourth goal, that was curtains for them. So let me know what you guys think about this game in general. So what do you think about Timo Meyer's impact? What changes to the lineup do you want to see Lindy Ruff make? And were there any missed calls during the game that I didn't see and that you want to point out? Curious to hear your guys' thoughts, so leave a comment down below if you're watching on YouTube. If you're listening on podcast streaming service, hit me up on my personal Twitter page, at TreyMatt4, or the show's Twitter page, at LockedOnDevils. As for today's episode, that's all the time I have for you, so continue to stay safe. Have a wonderful day, New Jersey. Go Devils. I'll catch you guys in the next episode. Thanks for listening once again.